0: So I'm a I'm a card carrying millennial, if you like, um, loud and proud. You know, no no other generation with the, with the the Instagram generation. I had Instagram like before Facebook had bought it. You know, like when there was only four filters back in the days. But I'm a card carrying millennial, and and once an older woman, um, she was like a mum, as mums like to do. She had a go at millennials, you know, not not with malice, but. She was like, "You millennials, you think you're so liberated and free, talking about sex all the time, but you guys never talk about death." And as a true millennial, I was like, "Whatevs," just kept walking, <laughs> checked my messages. Classic millennial. But death, death is death is really real. Death is is very real. I don't know if you've experienced death or you're scared of death. Um, scared of, of the dead, scared of dying. I watched a woman die this week, just as grandma passed away. Um, literally, she passed from this life into Jesus' arms. And, and I was there in the hospital and um, it was really intense. Like, it's really a sacred moment. She was whispering um, the name Jesus, and as she went from uh, sort of pain and agony, she had a big heart attack. At, well, she kept having heart attacks in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, and her last one, she just ripped all the cords out and um, basically said she's had enough and then started saying Jesus' name and, and sort of lost consciousness and, and kept breathing and then stopped breathing. Yeah. It's one of those moments where we're like, the sun breaks through the clouds of our material perspective and you just you know that life is sacred you know that, that there is more to this world than than flesh and blood and bricks and mortar that life is spiritual that transcendence is true and jesus confronts death he even defeats death with his resurrection Paul said that Jesus' resurrection um, was the first fruits of God making all things new. That death is real, but resurrection is reality as well. And that we will be the future fruits of what began with Jesus. That, that Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of, of God making all things new. And so death is, is painful and real, and yet there is hope. So much hope, and and so this story of of the resurrection, John chapter twenty. I just want to spend most of today um, just reading through the story and making some comments and seeing um, what it's saying. But but I want to sort of just just go through the story, and I'll, I'll jump around a little bit. But um, I'll I'll number the verses. Um, let's pray. Jesus, speak through your word, into our hearts. For those of us who are afraid, for those of us who are sad, for those of us who are ambivalent, for those of us who don't know what we think, don't know what to believe, would your resurrection be a reality that that shakes us and wakes us up to to find life in you today. Amen. So it begins early on the first day of the week. It's the the first day of the week after the Sabbath day. Now Jesus, um, he was killed on the preparation day, the day before Sabbath. Um, And there was a Sabbath and then the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Before sunrise we don 't know if it was daylight savings or if it was not daylight savings, what time the sunrise would have been, but before the sunrise, right they had to use an alarm probably to to wake up um, before sunrise. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb she goes to the tomb um, Jesus has been. Killed and then buried and so she goes to the tomb. Last week I was in the country visiting my nan and, and we went to the local cemetery because my pa, he died about a year ago and hadn't seen the the sort of um, tombstone. We I was there when they buried him but then hadn't been to the cemetery since. Went to the cemetery, saw pa's um, gravesite and then started walking around and like a lot of the gravestones have lots of cracks in them a bit creepy? Like, why are there cracks? Like that, that some, some have holes near them, like someone's trying to do some digging, or I don't know if it's just irrigation, but it's, it's a little bit eerie when there's tombstones that just have lots of cracks, and it's like, has something happened here? But imagine, imagine this, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. It's not a crack. This is like the grave is opened. The stone has been removed. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb And look at this, verse 4. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Right? Necessary information. The one that Jesus loved. At a time such as this, think that in the next chapter, the disciple Jesus loved, who wrote this book, has these words. Jesus did so many wonderful things that weren't written down in this book because if we wrote down all the wonderful things that he did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. But in my short 21 chapters, I have to tell you that I outran Peter. <laughs> you know, it's very necessary information apparently. It says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. Like... Minutes behind, it seems, right? Like he's already looked at the strips of linen and then Simon Peter catches up. And he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So not only is the tomb open, but if Jesus had burial clothes on or, or think of sort of like, like the mummy garments, they were, they were there too. Empty tomb, burial garments and dressing on the ground. No, Jesus. This is crazy. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and he smelled what was up. He smelt it. He smelt that Jesus was risen. And he says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So they didn't see anything, just an empty tomb, garments on the ground. There's a bit of fear and a bit of belief. These incredible scenes though, God um, was, was dead on the cross, right? He was murdered, crucified and now he's risen from the grave. Death could not hold him, the grave could not contain him. He came to give life, he he died to bring life so that that we could be reconnected to the source of life. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again, was resurrected. After dying the death of man, the death that humankind deserved, he is raised to a new resurrection man. He he has a new resurrection body so that we might be made new, that he'd be the first fruits of of the resurrection of all things. God's making all things new and he begins with the renewed, resurrected Jesus. We, we start to find out that, that Jesus uh, has a body still. He's not a, he's not a hologram. He's not an image. He has a body. He's even got the scars and the holes in his hands. You can touch it. So Jesus has this new resurrection body, but it's not brand new. Because he's still got scars it's it's different new it's special new it's restored it's not the chair didn't break, and he went and bought a new one. The chair was broken and was refurbished restored made new. he has a resurrection body. you can walk through a locked room we find out i I once locked my my keys in my boot i I had a spare key, but I kept it in the glove box, which is stupid on, on multiple levels, mind you. Like, stupid for locking your keys in the car, stupid for getting robbed. Um, but I, kept my, I don't keep my spare key in the boot anymore, but in the glove box. But spare key in the glove box. I was going to take my mother in law to the airport. I went to open the boot. I put the keys in the boot. I closed the boot and my keys were locked in the boot. I had to quickly organise um, alternative transportation for my mother-in-law, and I had to call RACV. Um, but if I had a resurrection body, I could have just reached into that boot, grabbed the key. It would have been fine. But I don't, right? I don't, I don't have a resurrection body yet, at least. Jesus will give me that one day. He'll give us that one day. But for now, he's given us his presence. He breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if I came up to you and breathed on you, you'd probably leave the church. You'd be like, this is too much. I'm heading down the road. But Jesus... His breath is different. In fact, the word spirit and the word breath are connected in the biblical imagination. In in Hebrew, it's actually the same word, spirit and breath, and they're connected um, in the Greek as well. Jesus' spirit is his breath. He breathes and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the air from within me, my presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. It's his presence which equips us, encounters us, and empowers us so that we can know Jesus, be with Jesus, and have the ministry of Jesus. And he says to his disciples as he breathes them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he literally sends them into the world as the Father sent him. He gives them the power and he he passes on his ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness and says, the Father sent me, now I send you in the same way. Go. Imagine if um, Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, before he died, imagine if you worked at Apple and you thought you were just an employee, you know, pretty cool gig, Apple looks good on the resume, like I can move back to Australia, and I'll, you know, people will be interested in in hiring me. It looks good on the LinkedIn, right? Apple, Silicon Valley, Cupertino, fun place, probably, bit expensive, but I'm sure Apple will pay, all right. But then Steve Jobs, before he leaves, he calls you into his office. You know, I'm sure Apple have a lot of, um. Lot of open plan layout, but Steve Jobs still had a corner office. Come on. He calls you into his office. And he gives you his black skivvy, his turtleneck. He gives you his 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 little John Lennon glasses. He gives you his straight-cut jeans. And he says, John Appleseed. John, all I am, all I have is now yours. The devices which you launch, they will be cool. They will be creative. They will be consumed. They will smash Samsung and Google and all the other products. You are the new CEO. Go. Like That would be amazing. That would look good on the LinkedIn. I'm telling you, that would look good. But... But that is just a taste of the power and significance of what Jesus does with his disciples. As a resurrected man, he gives the disciples his his mission and his presence. And they go hand in hand. Jesus' presence means that he's with us, that his power is in us, and that his mission is now ours. Jesus gives his presence and, and... because of God's empowering presence, Jesus is with us, his power is in us, and his mission is now ours. So Jesus is with us. After the, the bit with Peter and, and John, there are three appearances in the story. Jesus appears to Mary, then to the disciples, and then to Thomas. And I want to focus on, on the appearance to Mary Magdalene. Mary's the first person to see Jesus after his resurrection. And she's she's really sad. She's in a lot of, of emotional pain. It it actually mentions her tears four times. Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Her tears are mentioned. Four times. And she says, they've taken my Lord away. I'm in anguish, I'm in pain. And then she sees Jesus, she doesn't recognise him. She thinks he's the gardener. He speaks to her, she doesn't recognise his voice. But then Jesus says to her, Mary. And at the sound of him saying her name, she says, "Rabboni." And she holds on to him. She recognizes her Lord and Savior as he calls her name. He knows her pain and he knows her name. Jesus' presence, Jesus resurrection presence means that he's with us and he knows our pain and he knows our name. Like we often don't recognize Jesus' presence. Maybe it's cuz we're we're in this material perspective, you know, fluorescent lights, bright screens, jobs to do, things to, things to get done. And we're looking for him often, asking, where are you, Lord? Where are you? But he's already found you. He knows your name. He's calling your name. To be known is the most beautiful gift. To be found is the most precious thing. To be known gives life, literally, literally. They've done studies on babies and to be known by the mother, to have attention and affection and proximity and skin contact gives life to the child. To be known by, by the mother gives life to the babies and, and babies who are neglected and not known by their, their mothers, uh, they, their infant mortality rate is higher, their development is, is um, stunted. To be known gives life. And Jesus knows your name. You don't have to go find Jesus because He's found you. You know, I was, I was struggling at one stage in my, my adolescence. Um, I really wanted to be known. I really wanted to be liked and recognized. I wanted to hit you know back then, to hit a1,000 Facebook friends was a big deal. I think everyone has a thousand these days. but back, but back then, it was a big deal, or the young have a thousand. I, I don't know. I don't log into Facebook anymore because I got too addicted. But um, I wanted to be liked, I wanted to be known. I'd want to go to, to parties and people be like, Locky, lucky, lucky, like hear my name from multiple directions. I was addicted to attention. I'd go to, to parties and I'd spend like two minutes in each conversation because I'd just hover, I'd float. i want to like see everyone, you know, no depth, very shallow, but i want to just tick off like two-minute catch-ups. I wanted to maximise my my social exposure. And then that started to slow down. And I got a bit insecure. And so I, I moved from thinking that I need heaps of Facebook friends or heaps of acquaintances, wanting to be known by the most amount of people. And I decided I want to be known by the most important people. You know, I was um, training for for ministry um, and so I wanted to be known by Christian leaders. The pastors, the podcasters. I'd go to a conference or an event and I'd hope to be known or be recognised by by the so-called important people. But then that's not satisfying either because in the end there, there are no important people in the economy of God. It doesn't mean anything and... And I went to a conference one day and, and the leader who I'd spoken to maybe one time, he didn't recognise me. And, and it, this passage just spoke to me. Jesus just spoke to me and he said, I know your name. I know your name. It doesn't matter how many people know your name. It doesn't matter how important the people are who know your name I, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, the creator of the universe, I know your name. He knows our pain. He knows our name. He's with us in that and and then he sends us out. Look at what he says to Mary. Verse 17. Do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You know, Jesus has been talking about the Father so much in John. We saw at the very start that those who would believe in his, his name would have life and would have the right to be called children of God. That the relationship that Jesus has with the Father could become our relationship with the Father. But Jesus has not yet until now mentioned that his father is our father. That his father might be Mary's father, that his God is her God. And so Mary goes to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, just like a woman A Samaritan woman at the well went back into the town and told all the people, come see a man. Mary goes to the disciples and announces his resurrection. The first person to see the resurrected Jesus. This is an amazing announcement. This is a woman, right? In in this time, believe it or not, a woman's testimony was not admissible in court. Can you imagine that? Any eyewitnesses are uh, all women, that means there's no eyewitnesses that's that's rough, that's unfair. But that was the society and and historians say that what makes the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus so compelling and so credible is that it was a woman's testimony, and yet thousands believed and, and it changed the world. that normally a woman's eyewitness testimony wouldn't mean much to people, and yet Mary Magdalene's testimony changed the world. That Jesus is alive. And yet, it is hard to believe. You know, consider Jesus' friend Thomas, the third person that Jesus appears to. He, he struggled to believe, and he's like a lot of us, like got some doubts. If you've got doubts, you're not alone. Is very human. Many of us have doubts and that's okay. You know, certitude, like being 100% certain, certitude is not faith. John says that, that faith is to believe into Jesus, to lean into Him, to trust Him. To believe that He's the Messiah and the Son of God and have life in His name. That's not to be certain necessarily all the time. It's not certitude, it's trusting him through and in the midst of our doubts. And for some reason it seems that Thomas missed the first meeting. Jesus appeared to his disciples, he gave them the Holy Spirit, but Thomas missed that meeting. It was was not a good day for Thomas to to miss the gathering because it was his part-time job, right? Imagine, imagine if you were always at Embrace, And then you missed one Sunday, and you texted the um, MCBC spam. You said, hey guys, what did I miss? Where are we eating? And Ronald jumps on the text. he says, what did you miss? What did you miss? Jesus came back from the dead. We're all super scared, so we like locked the doors, right? Somehow, he just walks through the locked doors came and just hung out. And we just hung out with Jesus for the whole time. And in fact, you know what we're doing for dinner? We're having dinner here because Jesus provided the food, but the doors are locked. So, Soz, see you next week. That's what happened to Thomas, right? He missed, like, the best gathering of all time. Sometimes faith can be like that. You're like, I'm part of this community. I love it. But I don't feel... Like, I've got as much faith as, as maybe the people up the front, or the people who can, can do prayers, or the people who uh, say a lot in, in the Bible studies. I've, got, I've actually got a lot of doubts. And, and maybe I'm even afraid to, to say those doubts, because what if someone thinks I'm not really full of faith or, or I don't have the right answers? I don't want people to think I'm backsliding. But the resurrected Jesus is with you in your doubts. Jesus did not say, Hey, Thomas, what are you doing, man? You know, Judas betrayed me. Now look at you. He said, Thomas, here are my hands. Here is the hole in my side. He said, Touch it. Like, that's disgusting. Touch the hole, touch the the wound. He doesn't diminish Thomas. He doesn't Bible bash Thomas. He says, here I am, touch my scars. Stop doubting and believe. Again, believe is to believe into, to trust. He meets Thomas in his doubts. He's with Thomas in his doubts. And then he invites Thomas to believe because in believing you have life. Jesus knows your name, he he knows your pain, he knows our doubts and he sends us out. Now life in his name is not just a comfortable, cosy life. It's not, he didn't die and rise again just so we might be comfortable. Life in his name is eternal life, life with God, vibrant, vital full of the Spirit, full of mission. His presence means we have His, His power. The power of God is in our midst. His presence means we're on His mission to the world, that the work of God is entrusted to us. So Jesus meets us in our pain. He knows your name. He, He's with you in our doubts so that He can send us out. And it's a gift, right? It's, this is real living. This is real life, eternal life with God. And look with me to finish at, at verse 30 and 31. John breaks the fourth wall again, right? He speaks, he speaks to the reader directly. We might not have been there in, in Jesus' day. Uh, we might not have been there for the resurrection, But we can know Jesus in the same way. Because John says, all of this was written. All of this was written so that you embrace. You, reader, might believe. You might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the resurrected Jesus is with you in your pain. He knows your name. He's with you in your doubts and he sends us out. That is life with the resurrected Jesus. That is Jesus' response to death, the hope of resurrection, the comfort of his presence and his closeness. The joy of of him knowing us, being known, the intimacy and faith of him being with us in our doubts and the power and privilege to be sent out into the world and continue his mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that that the resurrection was the first fruits of what you would continue to do, make all things new of what you will one day do with us, what you will one day do with Jess's grandma, who is a believer in you, what you will one day do with all those who you gave the right to call children of God who, who have now passed away, who aren't with us anymore. For those of us who will die, you promise us resurrection life. And in your resurrection that you are close in our pain, that you are close in our doubts, that you know us and that you empower us. Will we find this life that is in your name, together in you, for the sake of the world. Amen.